Galatians 6, 9 says, And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. That's a wonderful statement from Paul to the Galatians, but it also speaks to us, does it not? Uh, but the truth is that no matter how much we love our ministry or what we're doing in the church, sometimes we do grow weary. Uh, sometimes to the point of burnout. And we ask ourselves, why is that? And what causes that? And I want to just take this little bit of time that we have tonight to just kind of talk with you for a little bit about some of the reasons I think that we get to this point and how we can help ourselves uh, from getting there. But I think first we have to understand exactly what burnout is. Burnout is like a book of matches to me. And um, <clears throat> what I'm talking about is when you open up a book of matches, what do you see in there? I mean, what are you expecting to see? Matches. Matches that do what? They haven't been burnt. They haven't been burned and that you're going to use to light a fire of some type as, as a rule or to light something at least. You're going to use them. They're going to burn. They're going to ignite. But if you were to open up that matchbox and what you found was matches that were already burned, mm -hmm. what would that say to you? They're no good. They're no good. They're no good. The purpose for which they were intended has just disappeared. And I sometimes think that we can sometimes look at ourselves in a mirror. And sometimes I think we look at ourselves and we kind of think of ourselves as that burned out book of matches where we say, I don't know if I've got anything else to give. Now, maybe you've never felt that way in your life or your ministry. And I think that's really good. But uh, I have had not that consuming a feeling, you know, where it's just a total burnout. But I have had those moments when I thought, I just, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. And I'll, I'll confess to you that as I've led conferences, my husband can tell you, I've had moments when I've been packing up and getting ready to go lead a conference when I will say to him, now tell me again why I'm doing this. Because I'm tired from life around me and everything else, and I think, maybe this is not what I'm supposed to be doing. Maybe I need to be doing something else. And so that's where we want to get to the point that, that we can revive ourselves again. Burnout is one of those things that is talked about a lot, but a lot of people don't really understand what it is. But burnout basically is, it's when we are fatigued, we're tired. It's when we get to the point of cynicism, or maybe even apathy, that's brought about by work activity that fails to bring reasonable satisfaction, or it results in a chronic frustration for us. And that's when we're beginning to see some type of burnout. You know you're experiencing burnout when you feel tired at work, even after a good night's rest. Little things bother you more now than they did in the past. Your job has lost its meaning. You feel ignored or unappreciated at work. 
You have recurring headaches, pains, colds, or other physical complaints. You neglect to do things you enjoy. You no longer feel challenged and creative in your work. And you have a difficult time concentrating on your work. Now, let me just state at this point that we're, we're centering this on work, but this is our life as well. I mean, we can get this way just in our normal life where things just don't seem the way they used to be. And um, it, it's just one of those things that you begin to see a pattern taking place. Burnout comes from neglect of the inner spiritual development. That's one of the things I think uh, we don't always want to admit. But burnout comes when we are neglecting to do the thing that's most important for us to do, and that's to keep our spiritual development. And so to avoid burnout, we cannot neglect that. We need first to have a clearly focused direction in Christ. And we need to look at it like this. Christ is the Savior of the second chance. And we know that, don't we? And so maybe we do get tired. Maybe, maybe we have made some mistakes. But he gives us a second chance and a third and a fourth if we need it. But nothing in the past matters. He begins each day anew with us. What Paul told the Philippians was, Yet indeed I also count all things lost, for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ my Lord. And so Paul, more than anybody in the Bible, I guess, understood the God of the second chance, didn't he? He took Paul, who was a persecutor of Christians, and what did he make him? The greatest evangelist the world has ever known. So certainly we can say Paul was uh, a person who knew about the second chance, who knew about, and, and I think, that we can say, if we read the scriptures, we can see that Paul sometimes came pretty close to burnout. I mean, he had his moments. And that's why I love him so much, and to read his writings, is that he's real. And he and I can relate to him. I just wish I had, could be the person that Paul was. But we also need relentless determination, folks. We need to keep pushing toward being like Christ, moving ahead by leaving the past behind. Paul said, not that I have already attained or am already perfect, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. I do not count myself to have laid hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of Christ, of God in Christ Jesus. And we don't get there. We can't get to this point if we neglect our inner and spiritual development. We, we can't ever say that uh, until if, if we never spend time uh, learning and doing about God. The second thing that leads to burnout is bitterness. Bitterness is a cancer. It destroys churches, homes, and most importantly, it destroys people. So we need to break free from bitterness. <clears throat> Jesus said, You have heard that it was said to those of old, 
You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and do what? Go your way, that means to the brother, and first be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. That's a hard thing for us to do, isn't it? Um, my mother lived to be 92 years of age. She lived the last 15 years of her life with us, and um, I knew before she came to live with us that my mother was a very bitter woman. And um, nothing that I could say or do could take away that bitterness. And so I can tell you from firsthand experience, when I say it is a cancer, I saw it eat her life away. The pleasure of life that she could have enjoyed, except that she was caught up in bitterness and anger. And by the time she was 92, I'm going to tell you all, she, does, she didn't really remember what she was mad and bitter about. She, I mean, she couldn't tell you. Uh, so, uh, let's don't go there. Let's don't let ourselves become bitter. We need to acknowledge past hurts. We're not going to get through this life without hurts. It's just a part of life. Seek counseling if needed. It doesn't always have to be with a professional. Many times all you need to do is share with someone who truly cares about you. We need somebody that we can that we can talk to and share those things that are hurting us and know that it will be kept in confidentiality and that we will be loved. And then we need to forgive unconditionally. Now I'll tell you, it's easy for me to forgive. It is not easy for me to forgive unconditionally. Now I'd like to think that Maybe y'all have some of that same problem. But some people it seems to be easier to forgive unconditionally than others. But the thing about forgiving unconditionally for me is that Satan comes back and reminds me that that person hurt me or that person did something to me. And so I'm constantly having to say, I'm not going to listen to that. I'm just not, I'm not going to go there because I've forgiven that person and I'm not going to let you continue to remind me of what they did that I've forgiven. But that's a hard, hard thing for me personally to do. Uh, it, when you're hurt, it is hard to forgive. But then we need to practice gratitude I think one of the things that's hurting our nation and our world today is that people have forgotten what it's like to be grateful, to show gratitude. It hurt me so much, has it been maybe two years now or even longer, that we somewhere, somebody made a decision that we're not going to have Thanksgiving anymore, we're going to have friend giving because that's the one time a year that's kind of remind people that we need to be a nation that's grateful. And it's somehow, I feel that it's been connected to Christianity, it's been connected to 
uh, a religion or that type of thing, and so we have to get rid of that. We can't do Thanksgiving. Well, Thanksgiving is forgiving things, and I don't know why even non-Christians would be reluctant to want to give things, but we have to change that now to friend-giving. But I think we need to practice gratitude. Uh, I went to a conference years ago and heard a motivational speaker, and it was about the time that the lottery was coming out in Georgia. And he was very upset about that. He wasn't even a Georgian. But he was upset about that because he said, Folks, if you were born in America, you've already won the lottery. So I don't understand why everybody wraps themselves up in the lottery. And that's something to be grateful about. So uh, bitterness. And then burnout comes from stress. And I would say that for probably most everybody in this room, stress would probably be the biggest factor. We just manage to take on so many things and so many things come at us that before we know it, we are in a, we are in a stress situation. Now, you can tell me if this might be your problem, but I know it's my problem. We need to give up the need to be busy. I'm just a busy person. I just need to be doing something. But, you know, in my own self-thought, uh, years ago my husband used to say, I, I always, I would gather my clothes up, and when he wanted to sit down and watch TV at night, I'd bring all the clothes in, and I would sit and fold clothes while we watched TV. And one night he said to me, why don't you ever just sit down and watch TV? And I said, I am watching TV. And he said, you are not watching TV. You are folding clothes. And I said, well, it gives me something to do while I'm folding clothes. But that's when I realized that what he was really saying is, you're not resting, number one. And number two, you're not spending any time with me as we sit here watching TV. But I just felt like I needed to be getting stuff done. Done. So we need to develop a strategy. Quit trying to do everything because in so doing, you can often miss your spiritual development. Because again, this is what happens, and I know it happens, that if Satan can keep us so busy that we forget to take our quiet time, uh, to spend some time with God in prayer and that, then he's like, hallelujah, you know, I've got that girl busy now. So she's Think she's doing good, but she's doing what I want. Here's what Mark said. Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said to them, let us go do something else. Is that what he said? No, he said, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and do what? Rest a while. Now, after this, he actually did go and feed 5,000 people. But then Mark adds that immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent them away, he just had a really good time? No, he departed to the mountain to... 
pray. Jesus was as human as you and I, and he understood the need to get away from people, to get away from things, to get away from being busy, and not only to rest in that time, but to do what? To talk to his Father, to his Heavenly Father. And that's what I forget too often to do. Get rid of your need to always please people. Rid yourself of the fear of rejection. Jesus said, I do not receive honor from men. We have to go where Jesus went. Get rid of the fear that others may realize that you hurt sometimes. I, <clears throat> one time I answered the phone where I was working and a woman said to me, are you, are you just happy all the time? And she was one of those church members who had never met me. She didn't know who I was, never had laid eyes on me. I didn't go to the church where I worked. And um, so the only thing she had to gauge was how I answered the phone. And I said, I mean, how do you answer a question like that? Are you happy all the time? Well, to be honest, what do you have to say? No. I'm not happy all the time. The thing is, is that no, we don't smile all the time. No, we're not happy all the time. Guess what? Our hearts break just like everybody else's heart breaks. And sometimes we're just not happy. And But we're afraid for people to know that. We had a woman at our church one time many years ago. She and her husband were just precious, precious people, but they were both very frail in their health. And, of course, we would all ask them, because we were concerned about them and loved them, how are you doing? How are you feeling? But all you would ever get from them was, we're doing fine. Y'all ever done that? We're doing fine. We're doing fine. And then one Sunday, I said, I just walked up to her and I put my arm around her and I said, how are you doing today? And she just started crying. She just brought down and started crying. And she said, I'm for the first time, I'm going to be honest. I'm not doing fine. And I said, Let's talk about it. And um, she said, we just try to put on this face all the time because we want all of y'all to think that we're doing good, but we're not doing good. And I said, well, that's what we want to know because we want to know what we can do for you. And she said, well, I just said the next time somebody says that to me, I'm going to quit lying because that's what I'm doing. I'm just going to tell the truth. Now, nobody wants to hear people of course, whine all the time. But we do want to hear, know when people are hurting. And then put away jealousy uh, of a, or dislike of a co-worker. Paul told the Romans, Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Therefore, receive one another, just as Christ also received us, to the glory of God. We just simply have to learn to accept other people. So we have to get rid of ego. Jesus said, And which of you, having a servant, plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, 
Come at once and sit down to eat. But will he not rather say to him, Prepare something for my supper, and gird yourself, and serve me till I have eaten and drunk, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, and this is hard for us as humans, isn't it? We are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. Our ego, ego doesn't want us to do that sometimes, does it? We want the pat on the back. We want the... But what, when we're working at the church, when we're doing uh, the will of God, uh, we have to get rid of ego. We do it as a servant. Know who you are, your self-esteem. When Jesus washed the disciples' feet, he was trying to show them the attitude of servanthood. He was only able to do this because of his own self-esteem. He knew who he was. He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and yet he's washing feet. But he knew what was coming. So he understood servanthood. Go for excellence. Do it well. How many of you may have had a daddy like I had a daddy? My daddy said to us, if you'll do it right the first time, you won't have to do it again. And that's just how we grew up in our family, is that we just tried our best to do it right the first time. Paul told the Colossians twice in the same chapter, whatever you do, do it for the Lord. Now when you know that, what does, how does that make you work? If I tell myself I'm doing it for the Lord, I'm going to put a little bit more into it probably than I would do for any other reason. And then burnout comes from anger. <clears throat> there are a lot of angry people in the world. Have y'all ever known a time in your life when you've seen as much anger as we have today? It is scary to me how angry people get get and how quickly they get that way. Uh, we just seem to be stirring the pot. Well, we need to change anger to compassion. And to get there we have to realize that love is not necessarily affection. You know, I need to love people without loving people. You know, because Jesus commands us to love them. That means to accept the fact that they are made, they are creations of God, and we have to. So we serve with love, and God makes us love. And then we have to practice patience. I used to tell myself that I, well, and I still do, I'm constantly saying I'm not a patient person, but every time I teach this class or teach something about patience, I realize that most of us are more patient than we realize because patience is not being passive. In James chapter 5, we see the analogy of a farmer who plants his seed and he waits for it to grow. As he's waiting for the seed to grow, what's he doing? Is he just crossing his arms and sitting on the front porch and saying, well, I'm just, I'm patient, so I'll sit here and wait for my seed to grow. No, we see as he talks about the farmer that he is doing other things while he waits. 
for that seed to grow. And so sometimes that's the way we have to be. When we are planting our seeds of compassion and of love and for whatever else we're doing, we have to we have to wait for that to take place. But it doesn't mean that we can't keep on doing what we're what we have been doing. You have to get rid of guilt. We need to uh, realize that guilt is something that uh, sometimes we are responsible for that guilt. You know, we did whatever it was and we're responsible for that guilt. But how do we get rid of it? How do we get rid of that guilt that we're responsible for? What does the Bible say? We ask forgiveness. We, we put ourselves before the cross of Christ and we ask for forgiveness. And what does the Bible say? Once we do that and we mean it, we become repentant, then where is it? It is as far as the east is from the west and it's never remembered anymore. Um, I have a precious friend that I've been praying for for quite a while now. And... Um, we're going to finally work her through this one of these days. But uh, many, many years ago when she was in her uh, 40s, her husband of 25 years or so uh, came in one night and said, packed up his things and said, I want a divorce and I'm out of here. They had four children. He had had numerous affairs. She had, I mean, he, it was all right there on his shoulders. And so she ended up a divorced mother of four in her 40s. Now, about five years or so later, she met her present husband. They've been married for 25 years or so. And she married and married him, and she's been married to him, like I say, for 25 years. But in that four or five year period, she lived like a single woman, if you get my drift. And she can't forgive herself for that. She just can't do it. She even has nightmares about it to this day. Can y'all imagine this many years later? And I keep saying over and over again to her when we talk and we pray about it, why can't you just leave it? I mean, where you should have left it the first time you asked God to forgive you. And she said, I don't know. And she still can't, she still can't do that. So when we've got guilt that is our responsibility, we need to put it at the foot of the cross, but then we've got to walk away from it. If God can forgive it, we're going to have to do our best. I don't think it's ever going to mean that if there won't be times that Satan wouldn't come back to you. But we have to understand that we've been forgiven. We don't have to keep being forgiven. It's, it's happened. It's been done. And we need to move on. But a lot of us have what I call perceived guilt. It's guilt we dump on ourselves. And we have to learn to get rid of that as well. And that's the hardest thing for me. I had a pastor that called me in one many, many years ago when I was very young. And uh, that was in a day when if, when if anybody said somebody did this and such, I would usually say, was it me? <laughs> was it me? And I wouldn't think anything about it. That was just my first thought. I was, I wonder if I did that. 
And so one day he called me in the office and he was not in a good mood. And uh, he said, sit down, I want to talk with you. And I said, okay. And he said, you have got to quit accepting other people's view. And I mean, it's got to stop today. And I was like, what did I do? I mean, I literally said to that, I literally said to him, what did I do? Now, he's just told me what. <laughs> that he's sick and tired of me accepting other people's guilt. And the first guilt, and the first thing out of my mouth is, is what did I do? And he said, just that right there. Just right there. And we're not going to have it anymore. It's, it's got to stop. It's, if you're guilty of something, you know you're guilty of it. Okay? Accept that one. But when you just know somebody did it and somebody needs to be guilty of it and you walk away with it, I'm not having that anymore. So we need to we need to quit being the guilt bearer for things that's not our guilt to bear. Don't let anger fester. Get over it and get on with life. Be open and direct. I have this philosophy that if you're mad at somebody, you need to tell them. And that if they're mad with you, they need to tell you. And my goodness, if you have to just yell and scream at each other till you get it out of your system, then get it out of your system. Mm -hmm. And then go about your business. I don't like this festering business where people walk around and you and you say, have I done something? Did I? Uh, nope. Nope. Well, you know you have. So don't let it fester. Then there's the health issue. Folks, if you don't feel good, you don't do good work. And so, health is a big cause of burnout. We'll talk about that more in a little bit. Overwork. Be persistent. Be dependable. But neither of these mean to be a doormat. Don't let your job take your entire life. Excuse me. Your personal life is very important and you need to nurture it. And then there is worry. We worry most because we're afraid of losing a dream or a lifestyle. How many of you are worriers? I'm a worrier. You know, I just I wish I could not worry like I do. My husband can lay, when he lays down at night and puts his head on the pillow, he's asleep. Do you know what I do nine times out of ten? I lay there and I go through the day's activity. What did I do wrong that I need to fix? And what did I not do that I need to do? That is ridiculous. And I know it, but guess what I do? I keep right on doing it. But it can cause burnout. So we have to remember our value to him who made us. I was mentioning this to someone not long ago. Maybe it was to my, I believe it was actually in my class at Jonesboro when I was teaching this over there. And that there was a ministry assistant there that came to me afterwards and said, do you know what I learned I had to do? I learned I had to lay down at night and when all of that stuff started coming in, I just started praising God. That's, and I 
I just started, uh, everything I said was a praise. I was a praise. And I never wore, I never took anything I was fretting about. I just say, God, you are so great. God, you're, and she said, I found out for long I was asleep. And she said, that's been my method since then. So, be, um, remember the futility of worry. And remember that true wealth has nothing to do with material things. Now, I'll be honest with you, I don't worry about material things. I, that's not my problem. But I worry about two children and two children-in-law and six grandchildren. I mean, I, you know, they're scattered here and yonder and everywhere and, and going different ways, and I just find myself just, you know, fretting over them. Feelings of unworthiness and inadequacy. And it's usually brought from childhood. So I gave you some scripture that you can read uh, that if, if this is something that gives you an issue uh, that will help you. But the thing about it is, is that, that uh, the scripture tells us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made and we forget that sometimes. There is no reason for us to feel unworthy or inadequate. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. And then burnout comes from displeasure with church focus or promotions that are not to your liking. Well, my goodness, I want the church to do everything I want them to do. It doesn't happen that way. And of course, we know that a lot of people leave the church for just those reasons. Uh, well, there is no perfect church, just as there is no perfect person. So now I've preached the sermon to you, so let's look at some, some ways that we can rekindle that. Let's look at the inner spiritual development. What can we do? Number one, we need to, to take time to be quiet. We need to read scripture. I had not taught Sunday school for many, many years. And uh, I finally agreed last year to accept becoming a, a, a Sunday school teacher for our Sunday school class. We have four different Sunday school teachers, so I don't have to teach every Sunday. We just uh, you know, we alternate our teaching. And I can tell you what happened when I did that. I found out that I had become lazy with my scripture reading. Because when I suddenly had to start teaching, I had to start digging a little more. And that's when this light went off that said, you know, a lot of these things that's giving you a lot more pleasure and making you feel better, you'd have had that years ago if you'd been doing this then instead of just reading your scripture and moving along. So read scripture, but don't just go over it. Uh, you know, if there's something that you want to know, it's too easy now with the, with, uh, the internet to go through and find out what that word means and what the, you know, that type of thing. And it's just an enlightenment for you. Reflect in silence on God's work in, in you through the scriptures.
then sit quietly relaxing in God's presence. Just be, as the, as the saying goes, just be in the moment. And then bitterness. What can we do about bitterness? We need to learn to take direction and constructive criticism. And this one's always been important to me. I think we need to hold on to our sense of humor. And if we don't have one, we need to develop one. I have thoroughly enjoyed watching y'all laugh tonight. I mean, I just, I love to be in the presence of people who can join together and, and have a laugh that can say things that will just start you. And isn't it wonderful that you can do this with people you don't know? Uh, and just uh, suddenly you, you know you're going to go home and you're going to tell your family about, you wouldn't believe uh, what we got tickled about or that type of thing. We need a sense of humor. Now we need to keep it. Cereal box. Yeah. Everybody's going to go us. home and sniff their cereal boxes. <laughs> and see, do y'all ever think about the fact that as Christians, we know the essence of things being funny that don't have to be dirty, they don't have to be filthy, they don't have to be, uh, you know, just repulsive, so to speak. It can just be something that's just simple life is funny. So retain your sense of humor. I worked for a DOM one time, had literally no sense of humor. No sense of humor. And I sort of suspicioned that when I interviewed for my job, but I thought, well, I, you know, I'll work on him. And, uh, and I did. And uh, I worked for him for about two years, and we really became close friends, but he would get so aggravated with me because if I ever read anything about, you know, laughing is good for your health, I would tape it on this door. <laughs> and I, I did all of these ridiculous things, and I remember the first time that I did one of my antics there at the, at the office, he said, we didn't used to do this type of stuff here. And I said, well, I mean, it's about time. And then when I left the association, I started getting phone calls from pastors that said, you don't know how you're missed at the association <laughs> office. And I realized they didn't really miss me. They just missed that there was pleasure. But my thing was is that if I'm going to work somewhere for eight hours a day, I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to laugh. We're going we're gonna to enjoy this place. And I'm the same way at home. I'm just telling you what. I am my own best subject for laughter. <laughs> I can do it. Now, I mean, just today, my I, I just said one little simple statement that was nothing to me. My husband started laughing. I said, what? And he said, you? Thanks. I'm glad I can help you maintain your sense of humor. <laughs> maintain a positive attitude. Do you like being around negative people? No. No. What do they do? Pull you down. They pull you down. I think we need to maintain a positive attitude. I've just decided I'm just not going to be around negative people. I mean, I just like to be around positive people. 
Stress. Whoa, that's a biggie. We need to learn to relax. And in this day and age, you know the number one thing we need to get away from to relax? Telephones. Cell phones, iPads, laptops, computers. Folks, put them away sometimes. We don't have to have them growing from our arm or our hand or somewhere like that. I, I watch now, uh, I, and, and people never relax. They're always on. That's what I call it. They're always on. They can't even go to sleep without their cell phone. My daughter sleeps with her cell phone under her pillow. <laughs> I, that just drives me crazy. Well, I said I am not going to say anything to her because I'm the mother that's always doing this type of thing. I'm saying something. Why don't you do this one? Well, she got upset with her 16-year-old daughter because she found out that she was talking on her cell phone. Oh, listening to music or something anyway in the middle of the night when she should be sleeping. And she said, and she caught, my daughter calls me and tells me she's upset with her and she's going to have this major talk with her. And I said, well, then before you do that, then this mother's got to have a talk with her daughter. And so we have talked. And I said, you know, you set the example. You can't go into there and start doing this to her when she knows you sleep with one under your pillow. Now, whether or not my daughter still does that, I don't know. I haven't been with her in a while, but I just know that when I travel with her, her cell phone keeps me awake all night, you know, because every time Cole sends a, you know, uh, there's a big cell on, the light pops up on her. I don't care if it is under a pillow. I see that light come out through there. But learn to relax. Laugh regularly. Laughter is good medicine. Leave your desk for a few minutes during the day to clear your mind and stretch your muscles. When I was working on, this summer I've been working on about 14 different conferences, writing and doing some revisions and stuff. And one day I realized that I, my husband went fishing with our son and got up and left before six o'clock. And I said, well, I'm just going to get up, and while everything's quiet at the house, I'm going to go sit and uh, work on, on my conference materials. So I didn't even get dressed. I just put, put my robe on, went to the computer, and started working and working and working. And my brother and sister-in-law were living with us at the time because um, they had sold their house and were waiting for their new house to get finished for them to move into. And I'm sitting there at my computer. I'm not even dressed. I've got on my robe. And I hear this little knock at my office door. I keep my door open. But I still, I mean, I wasn't even aware anybody was around. And there stood my brother in my office. And he says, you want to go to lunch with me and Pat? Lunch. I've been there since 6 a.m. It's amazing how much time passes when you are sitting in front of a computer, isn't it? And I said, do I look like I can go to lunch? But I couldn't believe it. I didn't even know the sun was up yet. 
So, I mean, I had looked out a window. That's how we can get, you know, we need to get up and do stuff. And we need to read and read and read. We need to read. Do some things just for fun. Only reason you do it is just because it's fun. Play soft music in the background if you work alone. I don't personally require that, but I know some people who do. They love to have, hear that music, but you don't need, you know, rip-roaring music. You need quiet music if you're going to de-stress. Take three minutes for a phone call to a friend. Now, let me hone in on this three minutes. This does not mean three hours. This means three minutes. But but call a friend and just say, I needed to just take a short break, and you were on my mind, and I just want to see if you're having a great day. And time yourself. I mean, if you have to put something in front of you, don't talk long. It doesn't work. Three minutes? <laughs> You can take a little longer than that, ladies. But take about a three-minute break. No. <laughs> and then jealousy. We need to maintain professionalism. And we need to learn to love people simply because Christ does. And what do we do about anger? We need, first of all, to learn to be pleasant. We need to be positive. And we need to be even-tempered. I interviewed one time with a... With a the man who became my boss and in the interview he said if you come to work for me I'm going to tell you like I've told all the other pe persons I've interviewed I must have a ministry assistant who is level and I sat there and I thought level what would, the, what, what would that mean level and so I guess he saw the question and looked on my face. And he said, let me explain to you what I mean. I don't want you to come in today and you're on the mountaintop and everything is wonderful. And then you come in tomorrow and you're in the valley. And you may stay in the valley for two or three days and then you're up on the mountaintop again. I want you level. So... What I'm saying to you is that you would have to determine that you're going to come in with a positive attitude every day, no matter what's going on in life. And um, that's, that's just what he needed and what he wanted. And I don't know if that's what he got or not, but we worked together for 10 years, so I guess we did okay. So, at any rate, help. Eat sensibly. I used to do a very bad thing. I used to go, when I'd go to work, I'd take a bag of Cheetos and a Dr. Pepper, and that was my lunch. 
That's not eating sensibly, folks. Uh, but it just seemed to work at the time. And it got to be such a joke. And uh, when I started leading conferences and the, and the ladies realized that's what I did, I would come in on my first day of a conference and there would be Cheetos and Dr. Peppers to get me through the rest of the week. I mean, it just became such a joke. But that was not eating sensibly. Uh, so please don't do that. Then we need exercise. And the thing about it is, is that we tend to want to make exercise some big deal. And I read again just the other day that if we just do 30 to 60 minutes a day of just walking, that that is enough actually to keep us, you know, maintaining some type of good health. Now, obviously, the more we do, the better it is, but that that, that would work. And so, uh, find that form of exercise that works for you. Have regular checkups. I used to hate checkups, y'all. I just hated that. You know, the regular go for your this exam and that, and I just would not go. I would just not go. I would just forget it. I mean, I just wouldn't even make an appointment. And I had a friend who believed in going to your annual physicals and all that type of stuff. And so she just really got really frustrated with me because I was not going for my annual checkups and all that type of thing. And so we made a pact that she would pester me to death till I booked my checkup. So she would call me and say, have you made your appointment for your gynecological exam? Not today. <laughs> so, you know, after about four, five, six calls, it was like, well, I don't want this call again. So whatever you have to do to make yourself do it. Learn what things make you feel good. What makes you feel good? Laughing. What? Laughing. Laughing. What makes mm, you feel good? Movie and a popcorn. <laughs> Roller coasters. Roller coasters. Mm -hmm. Grandbabies. Grandbabies. Yes. I know that feeling well. <laughs> Learn what makes you feel good. It's not the same for everybody, but if we can get in that moment of feeling good. And then overwork. Learn to say no. no. Now, I want y'all to look at this cartoon. This is my favorite cartoon. Look how sweetly she is saying no. Isn't that wonderful? She's saying no, but it sure is sweet. We can learn how to do that. Not being gruff, not being anything except no. And no comes in a lot of different forms. No might be, I can't do it today. You know, or it might be I can't do, I can't do all of this, but I can do this part if you can do this part. No comes in a lot of different ways. And so learn to say no. Leave work at work. One of the worst things a ministry assistant can do is to take the work of the church home with her to her family 
and eventually turn her family against the church. So, uh, unless it's something funny that happened that can be shared, leave work at work. Leave your personal life at home. Hmm. Now that doesn't mean that, oh no, you can't take a phone call if there's an emergency or something needs to be done or that you, you can't make phone calls to make doctor's appointment. Those are things we have to do. But when you're sitting there with the cell phone laying here right beside your desk and every time it goes bing, you pick it up and look at it, then you're not working. It is the number one time waster in, in all employment today is, is the cell phone. Organize and plan your work. Take at least one week off from work every year. We are the workingest, if that's a word, uh, nation in the world. We don't take our vacations. We don't do, I mean, other countries, folks. Uh, my daughter and her family lived in Norway for three years. And every July, everything stops. That's when everybody doesn't work for one solid month. So, now everybody get, keeps getting a paycheck, but you don't work. I mean, everything, everything stops. It's amazing. And they keep, they survive. They're supposed to be one of the happiest nations in the world. Get away from the office for lunch, at least occasionally. <laughs> Enlist and train volunteers to handle routine tasks. Put away that cell phone, iPad, laptop for a while and let people know that you're not always available. Our friends have a hard time with that with my husband and me is the fact that we don't have a phone attached to us. That They just can't get used to that yet. We, when we're outside working, we don't have a phone with us. Right. And they'll go, because it'll get phone. wet. Y'all are gone all the time. No, we're not. We were outside when you called. So, or we were doing this or that or the other. So, any rate, don't let it control you. You control it. And then worry. Willingly yield your worries and concerns to God. But that isn't just all of it. Once you do it, you got to leave it there. Feelings of unworthiness and inadequacy, you know what? Learning is one of the best things you can do. Learn, learn, and learn. Maybe you want to take some night classes. Maybe you want to do, I don't know, whatever. I just read in our newspaper the other day that when, uh, that uh, North Georgia Tech, which is a technical school in, in our area, is offering, uh, it, it's called the Travel Club. And it's for anybody that wants to join, I think, like $35 a year or something and you can go over there and meet with other people and they're going to do classes for all of these different things. It's going to be a travel club for learning experiences, going to museums, going to things like that and it's just so 
there are a lot of opportunities out there for us to continue learning. Develop interests unrelated to church. Oh my goodness. Did she really say that? Mm -hmm. Displeasure with church focus or promotions that are not of your liking. Oh, we got to do it, folks. We just got to welcome necessary changes. They just come. They come sometimes because they must, and sometimes they come just because they do. And finally, and this got left off of your handout, and I apologize. This was my error when I sent this to... Uh, to uh, GBMB for, for printing. Uh, Alan Lloyd McGinnis in his book, The Power of Optimism, gives some additional ways to renew your energy and maintain enthusiasm over the long haul, and I wanted to share them with you. You need to attach yourself to hopeful people. Attach yourself to hopeful people. Spend time with children. Hmm. Over the period of adulthood, we get numb to things that children can remind us of. The uniqueness of a flower, or a bird, or a sunrise, or any number of things. Uh, we need to spend time with children. Take many sabbaticals. Oh, many. <laughs> many. M-I-N-I. Just a, it maybe it's a day or two days. may just be a few hours. To alter, totally alter your normal routine. Just something different. Get to know someone new. Someone outside your normal circle of friends. <laughs> and in closing, I want to add one final note. We should all piddle more. That's what my husband does. When I'm flitting around like a fly and getting into all of this stuff, he's usually piddling. Now, if you don't know what piddling is, uh, I'll tell you. All of y'all from the South, you know what piddling is? That's what we call when our dog leaps off. <laughs> <laughs> like when they get excited, and they're just a tiny little, yeah. Piddling is when you do something, most of the time, that doesn't necessarily have to be done, but you're on no time frame, you just do it. You know, you just mm -hmm. do it at your own leisure. You take as long as you want to to do it. It may be something fun or it may be work, but you just are sort of piddling. And so he is the master. And so we were in Mississippi, that's his home state, a few years ago. And we went in this little store and I saw the perfect shirt for my husband. <laughs> I like it. Who needs a job? I'm just, just kidding. And this is what he does. But I wish I could somehow get it within me to piddle more because he relaxes. I mean, it's just, 
he'll say, I'm going to the shop and I'm going to do something. And he might be gone 45 minutes or he might be gone the rest of the day. And he'll come back and I'll say, what did you do? He said, well, I told you I was going to do this and such. And usually it's something that would I'd be finished with in 10 or 15 minutes and be moving on to something else. But he has learned the joy of piddling. Y'all, life is too serious to take it too seriously when it comes to allowing ourselves to relax and soak in all the great things that God's prepared for us. The sun comes up and the sun goes down. And when it does, it's a beautiful sight. And so I would like to tell you that that sun shines within us if we will let it. But more importantly, there's another sun. And we need to let the sun, S-O-N, Jesus Christ, shine in us and from us. And when we do that, we can enjoy life better and we can rekindle the passion for whatever it is he has entrusted us to do. Any questions? Any comments? We're a little early. That makes up for my being a little late while I go. Any comments? Okay, I'm going to let you go when we have a little prayer. So, I appreciate y'all being here and patience to listen to me. So, I hope you all get a good night's rest. And uh, be back in here somewhere tomorrow. If you want to be back in here with me, that's where I would love for you to be. So, let's just pray. Father, we thank you for the day that you've given us. We thank you for the opportunity to join together, to laugh together, to learn together, just to be uh, sisters in Christ uh, together for this time that you've given us. We thank you for the ministry, whatever that is, that you've given us in our church. We, we thank you that we live where we can have the privilege to serve you uh, unashamedly, without hiding in any way, but to just express our joy and appreciation for the love that you have shown to us. And we thank you for that. And we also, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the salvation that you gave to us when you gave your Son to die on the cross to forgive our sins. And keep us ever mindful of that. Thank you for our families, for our home, for friends, and for fellowship. There is so much, Father, for us to be thankful for that there is not time uh, tonight to even mention it all. But we are so grateful and we are so appreciative of what you've done. You are a great and awesome God. Protect us now as we go either to our homes or to a hotel and bring us back tomorrow so that we can gain more uh, that will help us serve you better. And we give the praise and ask uh, ask for any blessings from you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.